This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Welcome to Through the Ringer. I'm your host, Tate Frazier, and joining us as she always does on Friday. That's right. It's Nora Fridays. We have Nora back. Nora, it's great to see you. And still no wall art behind you, but we're still uh, we're still excited about having you on the Friday Tate, show. I told you off air. Don't do this to me. I told you off air. We ordered something. It has come in the right. mail. It is too large to frame at um yeah, the there, good people at Framebridge were helping us out, but it's right. not working. You know, we're, we're we're getting there. We're getting there. I promise. Yeah, we have Nora on the show every Friday, as you know, and we ask her about the power rankings, and we ask her a simple question: What's real and what's not? And uh, what we do know is that there's allegedly something real that will be behind her eventually uh, in the background. But we'll we'll deal with that another day. Now let's talk about the power rankings because. Well, I, I'm excited because we got good power rankings this week. I'm officially thumbs up. I'm Chuck Norris. Uh, number one, we have the San Francisco 49ers at 5-1. and one. Still the best team in the NFL, according to the power rankings. Number two, we have the Kansas City Chiefs. Number three, the Miami Dolphins. Number four, the Buffalo Bills. And number five, the Philadelphia Eagles. Let's start with the number one team in the NFL, the San Francisco 49ers. Are we not panicking about Brock Purdy? Because there's a lot of people that wanted us to panic, Nora. How are you feeling about the 49ers right nah, now? I'm, I'm not panicking at all. I'm feeling pretty good about San Francisco long-term. In the short term, the injuries to, to CMC, to Debo, um, and particularly to Trent Williams, I will definitely be watching because when those guys are affected, I do think it's going to impact what what San Francisco looks like in the short term. So if if do I believe that the 49ers are going to hold on to this number one spot from here through February? I might be a little shaky on that because I think they might be hitting a little bit of a road bump here. But long term, we just saw Brock Purdy look the shakiest we've seen him. But the important thing, in addition to some weather stuff and, and all that, is that he was facing a a Jim Schwartz Browns defense that's really legit and is one of the best in the league um, and might be the best in the AFC. And not only are the San Francisco 49ers not going to face that defense in January, they're also not going to have to face the best defense in the NFC in January because mm. or February because it is their own. So credit to the Browns for getting after Purdy for impacting him the way that, that they did for disrupting the timing of Kyle Shanahan's offense. But that's not a situation. I think this team is really ever going to find itself in again. So the, the injuries are a little bit of a concern in the short term, but it sounds like they will be able to get those guys back. And I, I got no, no issues. Yeah, I got no issues. And like you said, it's nice when you play the best defense in practice. So uh, Brock Purdy will probably develop and get better as the season rolls on. I don't think he's going to be the MVP like many thought a few weeks ago. But at the end of the day, I think Brock Purdy's okay. We talked about the number one team. Now I always like to talk to you about the team that's not in the top five. I've had the Ravens on the list. You and I both agreed on that. We had the Eagles a couple weeks ago. You uh, reminded everyone the Eagles were number seven on the board, not number five. Um, The Eagles are number five now, which is nice to see. They'll leave me alone. Uh, But now let's talk about the new fans that are upset. That's the Detroit Lions. They're yelling, what up, though? Uh, can you respect us? Can you see us? We're here. We're ready to roar. Um, what do you think about the Lions? And do you think that they have a legit chance to be a top five team in the NFL? You know, I think the Lions right now have a, have have an argument to be there. Um, Jared Goff's been playing really good football. I think when we talk about the long-term prospects, there's always going to be this baked-in worry when it comes to Detroit and when it comes to that offense and when it comes to golf in particular, 
that September and October are not particularly trustworthy. And that when it gets a little colder, especially when they're playing outside of that dome, that him in weathery, wintry, blustery, late season conditions, that there's always been a little bit of a drop off there. And you wonder if, if when we're talking about the top teams in the league, the teams that are going to make playoff runs, you wonder if when we're talking about, okay, can, can Detroit be up there and in the same conversation with the Eagles and the 49ers, the two NFC teams that are in that top five and, and the two that, you know, feel to me right now, like a pretty easy pencil into the NFC championship game. I think that any trepidation with Detroit, and maybe you would make the argument that this is not, not totally fair. Any trepidation with Detroit is a little bit less like have they looked the part so far. It's a little bit more the concerns that I have about this team are late season concerns, are concerns that come up when they're playing the best defenses. Um, The one thing that I think they could do in the short term to maybe get into that top five is I'm looking at them as a trade deadline team to watch because I think they could go Mm. after a receiver just to keep adding to that offense that's been their their bread and butter and try to just continue to bolster that strength. Or I think one of the potential pass rushers, a Daniel Hunter, um, maybe a Brian Burns, if they really want to shell out, although I think that would be hard, or a Carl Lawson, just someone to help them on the defensive line um, and to complement what Aiden Hutchinson has been giving them. I think they could do something and they could make a move there that might have us talking about them in that, that top five group. But really what this comes down to is just not only are the cream of the crop teams that are on this list really, really good and have played really well. They also have slightly more proven long-term success. Generally speaking, not really the dolphins, but they dropped 70 on a team. So it's a little different. Um, and so that, that's how I'm, how I'm looking at the lions as like a cuspy, but still on the outside looking in team. Yeah, FanDuel has them at plus 1,400 to win the Super Bowl. And uh, I do think if they had different jerseys on, maybe we could convince ourselves a little bit more that they could go and win the Super Bowl. But it is Detroit. No offense to Detroit, but I think that they are kind of the the new bloods of this conversation in the NFL. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of people that don't think the Lions deserve or expect to be uh, in the Super Bowl. But I think this year they may have a shot. I have to ask you a question. There used to be an old question in football, and people would say this, is Joe Flacco elite? And then there would be just people lose their minds, right? They, they would argue about if he is, if he is, and he won a Super Bowl. But also, was it really because of him? I have to ask the question to you, Nora. Is Jared Goff elite? Because, I, I mean, former number one pick, been to the Super Bowl, playing great football, playing, dare I say, elite football right now. Is he one of those elite quarterbacks in the NFL? All right, I'm going to first just say this. Jared Goff. Jared Goff is a fellow Swifty. And mm. those, those ties Just bind. celebrated his birthday, 29. Yeah, right. He is, he's a true fan. Um, he's a lovely guy. I think very highly of Jared Goff. And I think Jared Goff is probably a little underrated at this point in his career. Elite. When we talk about elite, we've got to be talking about the top, I mean, at most the top five quarterbacks Mm. in the league. And if we're not, then we are watering down the definition of elite. Oh, okay. I don't want to do that. So when I say elite, I, I, you know, it's got to be, if I think of what percentage of something constitutes the elite tier, I even think 10% is a little bit generous. When I think elite, I think like a, a 95th percentile and above. But if we take the top. So you're saying if you're top 10% in high school, uh, when you graduate, you are not elite. You're just, you're just, pretty you're a good. jag. You're, yeah. You're just good. a guy. Um, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But it, it, let's give that generous 10%, right? There's okay. 32 teams. So that should be three quarterbacks. There should be three quarterbacks Mm. that we can generously call elite. And so, no, I don't think that, you know, I don't think you place Justin Herbert, Justin Herbert. (laughs) I don't think you place Jared Goff above a Justin Herbert, above a Patrick Mahomes, above a Josh Allen, above a Trevor Lawrence, above a a Lamar Jackson. Like the the list kind of goes on and on. Um, I do think that Jared Goff is playing football with an elite quality right now which is that 
He is completing downfield tight window throws. He is one of the best quarterbacks in football right now on tight window throws where the receiver has less than one yard of separation and he's got a zing a ball in there. That is not something historically that, that we have associated with Jared Goff, even when he's been playing well, but he is doing it right now. And if he continues that through the entire year, one, I think the lions have a much better chance of being a Super Bowl contender if he keeps that up. And two, I do think that that's the type of thing that is going to cause some people to have to reevaluate a little bit how much of a, a system quarterback, even though that's a dumb phrase because every quarterback is a system quarterback, if that's how we see him going forward. So elite, elite's a tough sell, but he's doing some things that we have not typically seen him even when he's been playing, playing well. We appreciate that. We're going to take a quick break. and we come back, we're going to talk some more NFL football with Nora. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together... We're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. All right, welcome back to Through the Ringer. We're still here with Nora. And Nora, we're talking the biggest game of the week. We have two five and one teams taking on each other in Philadelphia. We have the Miami Dolphins, the darlings of the NFL um, so far this season, taking on Philadelphia, the reigning NFC champs. Champs, of course, I'm talking about Sunday Night Football. Who do you got in this one? Do you think the Eagles can handle business at home? So, no, I, I, I'm going Miami in this one, but I got to say that I'm really interested in this matchup and don't. I don't feel like there's a shoe in it. It'll probably be a close game. When I look at the Miami offense matching up with the Philadelphia defense, I think that's going to be the most fascinating piece of it because I can see one of two things happening. Basically, the best game plan for the Eagles is going to be to just take it to Miami's front and try to disrupt the timing of, of that offense. And I think that if they, you know, if, if the Eagles come out of here come out of this game with a dominant win. It's going to be because their pass rush, their defensive line was able to just win those matchups immediately after the snap and disrupt what, what Mike McDaniel and and what that Miami Miami offense wants to do. If that doesn't Mm. quite happen and the dolphins can get into their stuff, Philadelphia's secondary and the middle of the field in particular that is going to be a hellscape for those linebackers and those safeties. Those are positions that traditionally are not highly valued in Philadelphia. They've often gotten by on, on that, but they've had a little bit more trouble with that this season. If Mike McDaniel can get them into those plays, he can have them eat over the middle of the field. So I'm really, really interested in seeing if the Eagles are able to disrupt their front and their timing before that stuff can happen. And if they do, whoever wins in in that way, I think is going to going to win this game. Um, But it's an interesting matchup because I can see it getting, getting tough for either team just in different ways. Yeah, that Eagle secondary is decimated right now. Obviously, Darius Slay out with a knee injury. You got Justin Evans on IR also with a knee injury. Sidney Brown out three weeks with a hamstring injury. Um, they're just trying to, to piece it together back there, and that's not what you want to have when you go against a team like the Dolphins who have been able to decimate secondaries in their own way with their explosive offense. So um, definitely going to be an interesting game, but like you said, if that Eagles front four, front seven can tee off, get some pressure on Tua, um, then we may be having a different conversation about that Dolphin, Dolphins offense in general. So that's going to be a fun game. Game of the week, Sunday Night Football. We'll all be locked in for that one. That leads me to the MVP because Tua right now is the favorite 
to be the MVP of the NFL at plus 330. You got Pat Mahomes right there close at plus 340. Then Josh Allen plus 650. Um, Is there someone right now, Nora, that you would say is definitively the MVP of the league that you would hang your hat on and say, after everything I've seen in the first six weeks, this guy should be MVP of the NFL? You know, definitively, really, no. Um, Other than maybe Christian McCaffrey, but that's not going to happen. It's been such a topsy-turvy year, and all of these quarterbacks who you could make an argument for, they've all had rough games in there. So there's no one that I look at right now and go, oh, that's the MVP. Someone's going to have to win it over the last few months of the season. But I think you can make make a very strong Lamar argument. I think you can make an okay Josh Allen argument. I think the Patrick Mahomes argument people are bored with, but it is true. <laughs> um, and the other one that I would would throw in at least as as belonging in the conversation is Trevor Lawrence. Uh, he's got a knee injury right now, and that offense has has had fits and starts. So I don't think that he's really part of the conversation. But I think he should be just because of how reliant they are on him to win. On the hard throws to the outside, they're often in in just clear passing situations, and they put a lot on his plate. And it's over the first chunk of the season. The more they put on Trevor Lawrence's plate, the better the results have been for them. So I I would ha- add him to the conversation as well. But no one's running away with it right now. Yeah, and there's a bunch of guys that are you know kind of just um, you know we expect them to be there, right? Pat Mahomes, maybe even Joe Burrow. He showed some signs of life. Josh Allen, like it's the expected names, but you know sometimes we get tired, we have fatigue when it comes to certain players, and we want to find the new face. Christian McCaffrey is one of those guys that could have jumped the board. Even Micah Parsons, after the first couple of weeks, was getting some MVP conversations at least thrown into the mix. But you do have Lamar Jackson there at plus fourteen hundred. And you and I have talked about the Ravens. The Ravens seem to do everything to uh, try to lose football games, despite being what looks like the better team. If Lamar and the Ravens kind of get it together would probably be the best way to put it. Do you think that Lamar could really make a campaign and a race to win a second MVP? Yes, he is. He is so (laughs) deeply valuable. You know, when when you talk about the most valuable player in, in a literal sense, right, of this group, the guys who have there's a particular argument for the guys like Jalen hurts a little bit. Although I think the, the um, struggles that he's had passing a little bit this year, probably take him out of it. But the Josh Allen's the Lamar Jackson's where they really influence the running game as well. That is value. Right. And, and so this Ravens team has been really frustrating and really disappointing, but the ways in which they've been frustrating, disappointing primarily have not had to do with Lamar though. He has not been perfect, but then he is just their engine, right? Like everything that they're doing in the passing game, everything that influences the box counts, the way that they're able to stress defenses, it all, it all comes back to Lamar. So I'm always here for a Lamar Jackson MVP conversation. And I definitely at at plus 1400, I think that's worth a pretty solid look. I will say I'm, I'm get it together is the right phrasing. I mean, I'll, I'll parrot Steven Ruiz, who's designated them as the East coast chargers. And I'd really like to see the snatching snatching defeat from the jaws of victory stop there because it's a talented team, an incredibly talented quarterback, and they have every right to be in the MVP conversation, the Super Bowl conversation. It just, they can't get it together. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Shout out to Steven, by the way. He'd be happy to see Brock Purdy now at plus 1,000 to win MVP. He's falling down the board, so big win for Steven there. Uh, one last thing before I let you go and we come back uh, for our final segment. I wanted to ask you about the trade deadline. You mentioned it. It's coming up. It's Halloween. Um, if, if you want to put that in your brain, that's pretty good. Yeah, spooky season. So uh, who are going to be the biggest buyers, you think, at the trade deadline? You mentioned the Lions could be a team, and Devontae Adams is obviously the big name that's out there that's been dangled, that some teams, maybe if you add Devontae Adams, that helps an MVP campaign. Yeah, for sure. It's going to be interesting to see because I think as we talked about a little bit before, it's not, it has not been a year where the cream of the crop 
or the the absolute bottom feeders have really differentiated themselves from the middling teams. Um, so who goes big as a buyer or as a seller? It'll be interesting to watch. I think the Broncos um, are definitely a team that is getting a lot of calls. Jerry Judy, Cortland Sutton, um, Garrett Bowles is another guy that they could end up moving. Um, I think you've got some teams like the Chiefs. You know, they they made the trade to bring back Nicole Hardman, but I would love to see them go after another receiver. My absolute dream for them would be Hunter Renfro from the Raiders. I think that's tough because it's Mm. in the division. But the thing that hasn't worked for Renfro in in Las Vegas is that Josh McDaniels' offense, and to an extent the way that Jimmy Garoppolo needs to play, is so systematized and timing-based and like be in this exact spot and break it at 12 yards of depth and just do everything very like by the book, be in this exact spot. Whereas what Renfro is good at is just like finding open spaces and getting open and using space and bending his routes and in clever little ways to work the middle of the field. You need a quarterback who can take advantage of that. And Patrick Mahomes is the best at that in football. And that offense allows him so much freedom that I think Hunter Renfro would be an incredibly useful player for the Chiefs as they try to make up from for some of what they've lost at receiver, particularly over the, the middle of the field in those short intermediate spaces. Um, so that would be my dream. I did uh, mock Marquise Brown to the 49ers on my show with Steven earlier today. And he got so upset because he was like, no, they'll win the Super Bowl. And then I'll have to eat my words about Brock Purdy. Um, And then the last one I'll mention is just that Brian Burns from Carolina is Mm. the most, I think, the most valuable and substantial player who's likely, who's got a good chance of being dealt. So when we talk about the guys who I would bookmark as someone who could command a first round pick and and more Burns is really the guy. Um, my favorite destination for him is the Rams just because I never want to see the Rams make another first round pick ever. But this is a team that last year offered Carolina, I think two firsts and a second for Burns. And now that price would come down a little bit because you've lost one of the cheap rookie contract years, but I, I could really see them trying to make another run as they've overachieved and also as they're looking towards the future and trying to identify some of those cornerstone pieces that'll carry them once guys like Aaron Donald have retired. Not that that's an analogous role, but that's, you know, Burns becomes someone who you can sort of build a defense around. I hope it's a fun trade deadline. You know, we're not beating Christian McCaffrey to the Niners from last year, but I hope it's fun. Yeah, Kirk Cousins was the name originally thrown out as well. If Burns gets traded, uh, I'm I might have to miss a show. I'm gonna cry. I'm sorry. Uh, I love Spider Man. He deserves better though. He does. He deserves better. He deserves to be able to win some football games. So if Brian Burns has to go to greener pastures, we'll we'll, uh, we'll definitely help him out. And I'm sure the Panthers will get no return for. Well, you know so what we'll I like for Carolina. I like Jerry Judy for <laughs> Carolina, and that's very funny oh, because God. then Steve Smith <laughs> is gonna have to talk about it. But if we're talking about, look, like you're not in a position, right, to to be really shelling out for the near term, but they have, they have, 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 have to get more capable wide receiver play around Bryce Young just to see what they can do there and how much they can get out of him and how feasible he is as, as their quarterback of the future. And you have to take some swings. You have a, you know, you have a former first round talent who every once in a while makes a highlight real catch and mm-hmm. he's cheap. Try to make it happen. Yeah. His values. Yeah. His values never been lower. And uh, I, th- I think I'm going to go pass out for a second at the thought of Jerry Judy being on the Panthers. When we come back, we'll talk to Nora about some b- more big stories in the NFL and her favorite game from week seven. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, 
Get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. Every single week, Nora, I bring you on the show. We talk about, you know, a ridiculous NFL story. You try to debunk it and make sense of it for me. The new one this week happened on Monday Night Football, and it, it is it pertains to a super fan. And Marianne Doe is her name. She was everywhere. She went on all the shows. She was talking about she's a season ticket holder. She loves the Chargers. And then, of course, as soon as you get too close to the sun, as Icarus taught us, here comes the controversy. Um, there were pictures that were leaked of her wearing a Minnesota Vikings jersey. People were saying that she was a bandwagon fan. Um, there were multiple alibis put out, one by her neighbor that said that the kid, one of her kids, plays on the Minnesota Vikings Little League team. That's why she wore that. Another alibi came out and said she actually was from Minnesota, so she liked the Vikings when she was younger. Um, I know way too much about this story, and I'm way too locked in, but I, I wanted to ask you, are you keeping up with the Marianne Dosaga, and uh, what your thoughts so far on what's Yeah, of course. Fraud. Total fraud. Come on. I don't buy it for a second. Those faces, those were for the cameras. Right. Right. The camera, I mean, the cameras had the shots. Um, they were locked in. They had obviously the celebration. A lot of times you get that crazy when you have a game winning touchdown, right? Not a game tying touchdown. That was some of the people trying to read between the lines. So you you immediately saw it and said to yourself, I don't buy it. Yeah, because real it, right? Chargers that, that was fans, your, that real was, Chargers fans. Right. They're dead inside. They've seen too much. No, real real Chargers fans are like me. They sold their tickets to the game because Cowboys fans want to buy them. I mean, that that's what's really happening. That was red flag number one for me. Why is she at this game? There's a million Cowboys fans that would buy those tickets. Um, and then she's going crazy. Now she's doing the media circuit. Um, I, I didn't know that we had Chargers fans that die hard and that loyal, but I, I did think it was a fun story in the moment. How, how long is this leash on the shelf life of the story? Do you think we're going to get more Marianne Doe shots in the crowd next Chargers oh, game? Oh, goodness. I don't think so. I think this could be, okay, you don't think so? You think we move you on? You gotta know. It's like, not going to be like get, Taylor it, Swift. The 15 <laughs> minutes, it's 15 minutes of fame. It's not 30 minutes of fame. It's not two Chargers games of fame. Enjoy it while it lasts. Get out while you can. We got to be done. You get one quarter. You get one quarter of fame. That's what you're saying. Um, so, and she got the fourth quarter. Unfortunately, the Chargers did not win this game. Um, so I, I had to check on your Marianne Doe standpoint. I like that. You say you don't buy it. Uh, is there any other thing in the NFL right now um, that is sort of grinding your gears that you want to get off your chest before I let you go? Grinding my gears is not is not how I would put this. But the, a thing that I'm <laughs> watching with interest is what's okay. going on with the Browns quarterback room. Um, I have very cryptic, it's very cryptic. A couple weeks ago, Kevin Stefanski was saying that Deshaun Watson could be practicing and playing, but wasn't. He has since said that, that he can't be, he doesn't want to potentially aggravate his rotator cuff and that playing through pain can be really damaging. And he's, he wants to be out there, but can't be. And I, you know, I, I don't know who's right. I don't know what exactly is going on there, but I think because they haven't been a good enough offense in general, that story is flying a little bit under the radar. That's a starting quarterback who already is a very controversial figure and already comes with a lot of complications within that offense and how he's performed under the monster contract that they cannot get out of who is saying diametrically opposed things about his, his health and his ability to be on the field as the head coach. And in a lot of other situations, that is the number one story on the ESPN ticker. And it is like everywhere and, and a huge topic. So I'm a little like my, I just have a raised eyebrow at that. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water. 
pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there, just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier, thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. All right, joining us now on Through the Ringer, you know him from the Ringer MMA show. He's also a Jokic enthusiast, and he's back for a second time. <laughs> he is Chuck Mendenhall. Chuck, how's it going, man? Tate, we do it again. This must be a big fight if you're calling me in for this. Well, well, I had uh, I had our buddy uh, David Shoemaker on the show a few weeks ago, and uh, I just yep. threw him a little softball UFC question. He looked at me like a maniac, and he said, that's not my beat. Get Chuck on the show. And I said, you're right, Shoemaker. What am I doing? So we got to get Chuck back. And we got to talk about Abu Dhabi because we have the UFC 294. Um, we got some good matchups in this one. And, you know, it was late announcing uh, with the headliners here. What, what was the big takeaway when you saw the headliners announced for this fight? It was a little bit crazy in the sense that... I think that people had got behind this Charles Oliveira uh, kind of resurrection. He had a fight in Canada where he was almost like a pop star out there, man. Like he, he right. went up there and it was just a very bizarre thing. And I, you almost feel like all the, you know, all the cards are in his favor at this point to get this rematch. He suffers a gash on his eye. He gets it stitched up himself without consulting UFC. Now all of a sudden he's not able to fight. He's replaced I think that they found the best silver lining in this situation because Volkanovsky is a monster. And I think when we do the Ringer MMA uh, uh, pound for pound rankings, it's always the top three is always this kind of pole position between Volkanovsky, um, Islam, and uh, and um, uh, John Jones. So it's like they're always kind of shuffling, and you get two of those guys on short notice. It's eleven days notice where they're having their rematch. Volkanovsky going up a weight. Not hesitating at all. Um, I love it, man. I mean, what what makes the fight game fun sometimes is exactly this kind of chaos, them making something out of the chaos of, uh, of what happens outside the cage. And it just promises to be a really good fight, man. I, I love Volkanovsky's just kind of like not, you know, like I don't give a damn. I'm going to jump in and do this. And I think he'll bring that fight to him. Yeah, absolutely. And he's plus 200 right now. So if you believe in Volkanovski and you think that there's some value there in this fight, you can go ahead and take him. And again, at plus 200, there's some good value there. The other one that's very fascinating to me, Chuck, obviously, is Usman taking on Chimaev there. And, uh, you know, we have, you know, Usman is at plus 235. He's a guy that we saw in a dominant streak, but he's lost back-to-back fights. Um, and, you know, what do you expect to see in this one? Is there any hope for Usman? Because um, it seems like all the experts think he does not have much chance for the fight. <laughs> It's a really weird situation because Kamaru Usman, for the longest time, man, he would have been the pound-for-pound best. And I think we were talking about him historically in the welterweight class, even with Georges St. Pierre, just kind of inching into that conversation of maybe being one of the best of all time in that division. He does suffer, you know, losses to Leon Edwards, and I feel like his stock is completely low. And it might be in part because he's 36 years old. And I think that third fight, which ended up being the third fight with Edwards, he did look his age, you know, he didn't look like himself. He's got the bad knees, you know, he's had some problems. So I think him going up a weight and basically facing what people consider the boogeyman within welterweight and, and middleweight, but now fighting at middleweight in uh in Shemayev, I just, it's, it's a tall task. I love the fact that he's doing it. He had called for this fight, like maybe a year ago, year and a half ago. I liked it then. It's a crazy thing now. It doesn't make the most sense, but in terms of name value, bringing him in and seeing if he's got it, this is this is a good fight on paper that way. Having said all that, man, you mentioned plus two sixty five or whatever it is for Usman. I think that yeah, yeah, I think that that's not even. It should be plus four hundred. You know, this is mm-hmm. one of those fights. I think I think Usman's just in over his head. And there's a, if you've watched Shemaya fight, I mean. It's like a blitzkrieg in there. He just goes straight for the guy. The way he just chewed up Kevin Holland in his last middleweight fight after this whole fiasco of missing weight and all that stuff, it just, he's like a man possessed in there. I would be surprised if he's not able to do the exact same thing to Kamaru Usman. 
And Chemaev, I mean, is he one of these guys that, I mean, I think most people view, view him as a villain right now. I was just talking to our producer, Tucker, before this. Does he have a nickname? Does he have anything kind of ready to get him, Dude. you know, shot into the public domain? <laughs> because uh, I do think that he needs some more respect. He does need the respect. I, it's, it's really crazy, though, because within the fight bubble, you know, the MMA world, he is this this guy that you, you know, is coming. Like he introduced himself during the pandemic by winning a couple of very quick fights on what it was called fight Island, which was basically Abu Dhabi. Same, same area he's in now just plowing through guys. And he's done this basically with everybody he's faced. Um, he definitely is kind of dog-eared uh, for a, a guy that's like going to be a champion. I don't know if he has a nickname, but he is a man of mystery. It's a very strange thing. We were talking about this on the, uh, the ringer MMA show, we're not even sure he can travel into the States, things like that to, to, to take fights. He's got all this. He's got all kinds of mysterious, unresolved backstory issues going on. But he and he and what he's he's always speaking very cryptically, like he just like they, they you know, he said he missed weight in his last fight. And they were talking to him and he's like, there's more to the story there. Um, I didn't miss weight. It was kind of mandated. You're like, what are you talking about? Like you're saying the UFC told you to me. It's like you're not sure where the guy's coming from. He's just a very strange guy. But man, he is a buzzsaw. He is a buzzsaw. He needs a nickname. Yeah, and he needs a documentary, it sounds like, because he's a man of mystery. And uh, that yeah. creates more of an allure for people to want to know more about him. And if he does win this fight, obviously he's the heavy favorite here, he will actually go and compete for the middleweight title, correct, against uh, Sean Strickland? So when he was supposed to fight Paulo Costa, the original opponent, this seemed to me like it would be a slam dunk. I think mm -hmm. that the UFC would like to see Shamayev get that chance. I guess... It's still in play. I mean, it's it's one of those things that's not really defined. But if he goes in there and and go, and just demolishes Usman first round, which I think is a real possibility, um, I could see that fight happening next. I could see the Strickland Shamaya fight. The only caveat is can he travel? It's it's mostly in the weird details. Like, can they make the fight? Is that the fight that they can make? Will it be convenient for the UFC to make it? If they can, if all of those things can be crossed and dotted and all that stuff, I really think that he will be the next guy to fight for the title. Yeah, I think that would be great. And uh, this might be his moment to kind of put his name out there as the guy. And uh, I know we talked about Volkanovsky a little bit. I do want to talk about Makachev because he is the favorite at minus 265. I mean, is he getting yeah. enough credit uh, going into this fight? Obviously, Volkanovsky going up a weight class. He's getting all the headlines. <laughs> but are we not talking enough about the guy who's the actual favorite? If you ask my guy, Pete Carroll of uh, the Ringer MMA show, like he'll, he'll say he's getting more credit than he deserves. Like, you know, because oh, wow. he is, he is training, you know, he's been training, but he's training for a completely different opponent in Charles Oliveira. Um, he, he has to, he's basically having a home game out in Abu Dhabi. Uh, it will be his crowd. Uh, but I believe he gives a lot of credit. I mean, you switch to, you know, facing from Charles Oliveira, who has all these submission victories and fights a certain way to a guy like Volkanovsky, who just, is a different kind of beast, man. Like maybe the best featherweight we've ever seen. And the only guy to take him the distance in the last six fights. I mean, Islam was on a crazy run before he met uh, Volkanovski in February. And that fight went to a decision. And if you look at that fight, if you really watch that fight, it got crazy. It started off Islam early. He was getting some takedowns on, but as the fight went on, it started going the other way. Volkanovski started to figure it out. And I think that that is where the biggest subtext and intrigue of this fight comes in is did he figure it out? Did the experience of having faced Islam, knowing what he's going to do and what he does well now translate into how to beat him? That's, that's really the intrigue for this fight. Yeah, I can't wait for it. And uh, like you said, there's two fights, uh, two good fights on the card right there. Uh, this Saturday night in Abu Dhabi, going to be a lot of fun. Are there any other fights you're interested in on the main card or prelims for the UFC uh, 294? You know, one kid to keep an eye on, he's the 23-year-old Mohammed uh, Mokayev. He's uh, he fights out of England, and he's got a fight with Tim Elliott, which is a step up in competition for him. Um, but I think that uh, Mokayev is one of those guys who will one day fight for a title, and, not, and maybe not even that far down. The UFC has done a great job of bringing him real slowly, fighting on prelims, and kind of burying him on cards. But dude, he goes in there and he gets it done. And I think this Tim Elliott fight is kind of the litmus test a little bit to see if he should be, first of all, on main cards and then against maybe top top guys, you know, like uh, the top 10 guys. So that fight will be a lot of fun, man. I, I think he shines. He's a big favorite. I think he's like minus 400 or something like that. He's yeah, a big right. favorite, but there's value in taking an early finish, even though Tim Elliott's a tough out. So there's some, there's some value if you're looking to bet that kind of fight. Um, I think the other one, and it, it could be, 
It's on the main card that could be for a uh, title eliminator is the Magomed Ankaleyev fight against Johnny Walker. Johnny Walker is one of those guys back when John Jones had the title that we were circling and saying like, watch out, this guy could eventually get to John Jones and be trouble. He's just a, you know, he's a finisher. He's a dynamic guy, a former dancer. He goes out there, he puts on a show, hurt himself doing the worm during a celebration one time and was out that. for a, yeah, he's <laughs> just a crazy personality. But the guy he's fighting is just this very cold blooded, uh, no nonsense, meat and potatoes guy who will just grind you to death. And, uh, and uncle I and, it's a bad matchup, but if Johnny Walker goes in there, if he's going to get it done, it's going to be early, and it'll be a TKO or something like that early on. So I think early, if it's going to happen early, it's going to be Walker. If it goes past the first round and a half, two rounds, it's probably Uncle Ab's fight. Yeah, well, we love a litmus test, and we love a bad matchup. So those are two other good fights to keep an eye on this weekend. Uh, we'll definitely be doing that. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back with Chuck, we're going to talk about Conor, Conor McGregor and talk about the Dylan Dennis and Logan Paul fight. Welcome back to Through the Ringer. I'm still here, and I'm still your host, Tate Frazier, and we're still with Chuck Mendenhall, and we're talking UFC. Now let's talk about one of the articles that you wrote recently for the Ringer, and you were talking about Conor McGregor, who's also uh, someone that people love to talk about in the world of UFC, and his lack of fights. When can we expect to see Conor back in the ring? <laughs> That's a great question, Tate, and I think that that was, the, that was kind of the impetus for the whole uh, setup for this article, which hasn't ran yet. It's uh, we're still compiling it, honestly, because uh, we're waiting for them to announce this fight that we're talking about um, to run it because it, it is a ridiculous, you know, couple of years he's had outside, like where he's basically kept himself in the spotlight. I think there's maybe 50 entries. It's basically a whole timeline um, of, of all the events, good and bad of what Conor McGregor has mm-hmm. been up to at this point. And this is the craziest thing about it. Like, we were waiting for Conor McGregor to get re-enter at the USADA drug pool because he he has to be in that for six months to compete. Now, we know that Conor McGregor, just like Brock Lesnar back in the day with the UFC, was able to get, you know, I think they give him special treatment, all this stuff. And I think they were trying to kind of do this a little bit again with USADA. And it has led essentially to the dissolution of the partnership between the UFC and USADA, which comes to an end now at the end of this year, which is just kind of crazy. So Conor McGregor, again, kind of at the, uh, you know, in the center of controversy for this time, third party uh, arbiter drug test, anti-doping versus, you know, all this stuff. So you have this whole new chapter to what's happening. Given all this information now, just to answer your question, I think we're looking at UFC 300. I think that that's probably what we're doing because that's the big event that's coming up. I'm guessing it's going to fall around April. Like if you do kind of the math of the pay-per-views, and obviously, he makes complete sense for a big event like that, um, a celebration event. I think that's when it happens. From everything you kind of gather, and this could change, I still think it's probably Michael Chandler's fighting at this point. Oh, yeah. Well, that, that'll that be a great matchup. But uh, just in general, I mean, how much do we know about McGregor's training? I mean, is he in shape? Is he in form? Is that the right terminology when we talk about a fighter? Is he in form? I know we do that in soccer, so I'll just use that for now. But is, is he ready for a fight of that magnitude? <laughs> he's kind of morphed and to in many different ways. Like, you know, at, at some point he was showing up just looking so jacked that that's what's led to speculation all over the place of what's happening. Um, you know, I, I think that, I think that he is rounding into shape. Um, and I think that this is a big, this is a big part of it. I think his shape, his cardio and all that will be there. I, I do believe that he has that in him, even with the silk sheets, you know, we talk about these guys who get rich, and Dana points this out all the time, but I think he wants it. He wants to go in there and win the fight. I think he'll be in shape, but the bigger issue is just the mental, you know, overcoming such a leg injury, such a gruesome thing. Um, we saw Chris Weidman, who had a very similar in, uh, injury, come back in his uh, fight, like a couple of years later, which just happened in Boston, and he did. He looked like a shell of himself because that injury. Like you're afraid to throw the kick. You don't want to rebreak your leg. There's just a mental factor there. So. If anything, I think the mental hurdles that he's going to have to go through uh, in this fight will probably be more concerning than the physical one. I think he'll show up in shape. It's just a matter of can he be the same guy at that point? 
Yeah, and the hurdles of the headlines. I feel like every time I look and, oh, yeah. and look up Conor McGregor, there's a, a myriad of headlines that are not good stuff. And uh, <laughs> one of the most recent ones, which is not a getting into the really bad stuff, but he talked about Dylan Danis. Um, he said he appreciated that he went out swinging against Logan Paul. We had the Danis and Paul fight. There was the whole buildup <laughs> on social media. That was his own saga. We don't have to get into that. But the fight itself and the fact that that became such a talking point, you know, in the fighting world about, you know, these celebrity influence or matches what was your takeaway from the fight itself and do we think that this is kind of losing its steam a little bit <laughs> man it's like i do believe it is it felt to me like it's losing its steam now if you looked at boxing as an institution and said it's kind of like the moneyed neighborhood of combat sports you know that's where the nice houses are that's where all that stuff i feel i feel like this club. crossover yeah, this influence boxing is kind of like the trailer park where they're you know shooting Roman candles and they're you know firing shotguns and stuff like that, always causing problems. <laughs> like that's how it felt. The fight itself, I mean, it's just it, it was it was it, it. There's intrigue, and I think that they're playing on curiosity, and they're also playing on a new demographic of people paying attention. They're YouTube people, like younger kids who are going to tune in, and maybe they don't care about like the boxing aesthetic so much as just seeing this next saga that these guys that they follow are in, right? But it's very difficult to watch because you can't make sense of what you're watching a lot of times. Like Dylan Dennis, this whole time was leading up basically going after Logan Paul's girl, you know, his girlfriend the whole time posting pictures, right. just really crazy stuff. Crossing the line goes in there. He did show up to his credit. He showed up. We weren't sure he would actually do that. And then he, you know, he puts on just a heinous fight. I mean, they, he's not fighting. He's just covering up. I saw Bill Simmons was talking about it, laughing. It's just, it was just a, uh, it wasn't even a spectacle. It just really felt like you were jumping the shark. And I wonder if it's, events like that where guys just can't back it up and you know you get you see KSI rolling up in his uh in his car and he goes in there and Tommy Fury who's just not exciting winning a controversy I I don't know I feel like it's losing its luster but we do have more coming up and I think that as we get out of this year I think that we'll have a better understanding of how how many how many you know how much legs this actually has as we go forward because at the end of the day, if you can't box, it's hard to watch you box and do something you don't know how to do. And I think that, you know, the viewers for a little while, they can put up with the ability, you know, the non-ability to box um, for the fanfare right. of it all. But eventually that wears thin. And I think that's where we are. We're getting closer and closer to it's worn a little too thin. Um, one thing I did want to pitch you, because we do see a lot of media personalities have beef. Um, obviously, the most famous one right now, Stephen A. and Skip. Maybe we get yeah. these media personalities to fight each other. Maybe we get them to step in and start boxing <laughs> instead of the influencers. That would be my pitch. Maybe maybe we have some um, fun with that. See, now I'd be down with this. Like yeah, you're, right. now you're Let's onto something. That. This is this is because we're in our realm, like that. You know, like a lot of these guys. You kind of, I'm just, I'm beyond, obviously, like. Uh, the ideal demographic to, for watching these guys other than the ones who come from MMA specifically. So if you get into the realm of sports guy, you know, sports personalities and all the beefs they have constantly, I mean, this is kind of put up or shut up, right? I, w I would dig that. Yeah, and we've seen NBA players box before. Nate Robinson's been in the boxing ring. So yeah. it's not like the NBA players aren't down to box. And who knows? Maybe uh, like Jim Rome <laughs> and Michael Jordan want to box it out after all these years. Dude, maybe, I'm maybe the, that's do you remember way back in the day they... They had a uh, right, way back in the day that celebrity boxing and they had like a uh, Manute bowl against William, the refrigerator Perry. Remember these <laughs> matchups, man? They're yeah. crazy. It's almost like they were the precursor to what we're seeing now. But, but yeah, I think that what you're saying actually would have massive intrigue. I'm not even kidding. As crazy as that sounds, I think that it would have massive intrigue just given that we've torn down the partition of celebrities into the ring. Yeah. I'm in. Sign me up. Uh, one yeah. last uh, other crossover event I wanted to ask you about. Uh, this is Netflix star Tyson Fury taking on UFC heavyweight champ Francis Ngannou. Um, what are your expectations <laughs> for this event? Um, this is kind of in the same realm. Uh, are you want? Do you want to watch this? Is it exciting? Uh, can you even try to handicap this? What, who would you say would be the favorite in this one? Of all of these strange matchups, this one makes the most sense. And it's actually, there's, there's so much subs, uh, like subplot to this because I think Francis Ngannou wanted to be a boxer. He just ended up in MMA and right. where he ends up a world champion. Um, so his story, it's more of like his story, like he, him winning, beating the UFC, leaving the UFC and getting this ridiculous fight. But come fight night, all of that goes out the window and you're like, what are we looking at? Tyson Fury being who he is, it's funny that you kind of framed him as a Netflix star because he also happens to be the world champ, but like he's yeah, right. like, you now know, he's a Netflix star. <laughs> <laughs> but he just, uh, 
it should be. I mean, dude, for all intents and purposes, like he should kill Ngano. Like this shouldn't really be a, a match. The thing that's always fun about this is when you have you pack the kind of power that Francis Ngano packs, and you get a little bit of a distracted fighter like Tyson Fury, who's already looking past him and you know talking about booking Usyk. That sounds like they've already came to an agreement to fight a couple months later, whatever that's going to be. There's an intrigue in like the monkey wrench kind of spoil, you know what I mean? Like kind of yeah, going right. in. So I, I feel like that could possibly not. Nah, I mean, I don't want to word it like that, but I feel like there's a live element of danger here. And that is if Nganu can land something big. Now the puncher's chance is we talk about it. It's usually when you're just trying to add even an ounce of intrigue to anything because um, it's always in play, but this one's different because he hits so different. Right? So I just feel like if Francis Nganu, if you want to watch it, it's a, it's almost a little bit of like the real, the true spectacle if he's able to land, I don't think any man withstands it. Fury's got a crazy chin, but Ngano hits very, very hard from everybody I've ever talked to. So it's fun. It's heavyweights. It is kind of the two baddest men on the planet colliding <laughs> right. from different realms. So I, I think this one's a lot more fun than your traditional crossover fights. Yeah, and like you said, all it takes is one shot from Ngano, and we have a different conversation. So that should be fun. Chuck, where can we find all your amazing work? And then we'll let you get out of here today. Well, I, I'm doing stuff for The Ringer, so I've got some pieces coming up there. You mentioned the McGregor piece, and you can find uh, me, Ariel Hawani, right. and Pete Carroll. We do a weekly show sometimes twice a week before and after big pay-per-views, uh, The Ringer MMA show on Spotify. Well, there you have it. Chuck, thanks so much for coming on the show, and thanks so much for joining through The Ringer. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side-by-side. Side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.